Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 105 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott joining you. Oilers now. It is a game night. Edmonton takes on Vancouver. Last game before the Christmas break, a CBA mandated three-day break, the 24th, 25th, 26th. Oilers will be in Calgary on the 27th. Oilers now is presented by World of Spas, Edmonton's number one hot tub and swim spa dealer. Thomas and the staff at World of Spa, they'll look after you, and they want to wish you a happy holidays. World of Spa is the ideal place to start your daily vacation. You can text us on the Ashley Fine Floors text line. Get the new floors you've always wanted with Ashley Fine Floors, 143rd Street, 111th Avenue. Open Monday to Saturday and reach us on the River Cree Resort Casino hotline. Same number, 780-496-0063. The River Cree Resort Casino. Excitement. Bet on it. In this hour... In about uh, 37 seconds' time, Post Media's Derek Van Deest. He's just back from the World Cup. Uh, so we'll uh, hook up with him. We'll have the orders now. Injury report. Uh, We'll have a one-on-one sit-down conversation with Ryan Nugent Hopkins and from the Athletic out of Vancouver, Thomas Drance. Japanese village for 50 years, Edmonton's destination for the celebration of <laughs> census. Uh, reserved today at jvedmonton.ca as we welcome aboard. You ready to go here, Derek? All good, yep. we got Derek Van Deest, who is... Uh, how long have you been writing uh, back at Edmonton for? Because you were here in the late 80s, early, or the I guess it would have been the, the mid-90s. Uh, but how, when did you come back from Medicine Hat? I'm just trying to think. I went to Medicine Hat in 97 out, okay. of, out of journalism school. So 97, I think I was there for about seven years. So I would have come back around 2003. So, so you've been in Edmonton the last 20 years, basically. Yeah, basically. And uh, you, you can speak Spanish, which is a huge asset, obviously, uh, when you're dealing with the... the, the soccer world this was world cup what number two for you uh world cup number two but really the first one as as a journalist i went in 2014 as more of a fan and then i was asked to write some stuff when i was down there so that was more of a fan uh i've gone to a couple of euros as a fan but this was the first time a men's world cup um I preface that uh, as as a journalist, I've covered two women's World Cups. I was in France for the women, last women's World Cup, and then yeah, so this is the first time I got a chance to to go there and represent uh, you know a Canadian outlet at the World Cup. So you were sent by Post Media. You were their guy at the World Cup. What was the experience like for you? It was amazing. It was uh, it was something that I didn't know what I was going to get into going in there. Like the, to me, I'm I'm a World Cup junkie, so I know everything there is to know about the World Cup. Uh, I grew up watching it. Um, I know everything about it. So I was, you know, this was a dream assignment for me to, to go and cover the World Cup and, and to go cover Canada at the World Cup. Obviously, that hadn't happened since 1986. Canada had not played a World Cup game. So to go cover them at a World Cup was really exciting. And then to, to stay and, and cover the event uh, was, was unbelievable. So it was just a fantastic experience. I have a friend. I'll say he works in international relations. Let's put it that way. He All works right. at international relationships and he reached out to me and he said, do you know anybody that's going over? And this was in like late October, early November. And I said, yes, I do. And he goes, tell him to be careful because there's rules 
and they're not screwing around. So tell me this, from that end, was it, because I know there was some, like, as an example, were you allowed to drink beer in the stadiums? In the stadiums, no, but there were fan zones, and then uh, alcohol is not illegal in Qatar. Like, okay. that was the one thing that everyone said is that, oh, it's illegal there, no one's allowed to drink, you'll never, you won't be able to find it. No, it's not illegal in Qatar. Um, it's it's uh, it's obviously a, a Muslim country, so the, so they don't they don't drink, but everyone else is is allowed at certain places, certain establishments, and then you, if you want to buy alcohol, you have to do it in a sense. If you're if you're living there, if you're a resident of Qatar and you want to buy alcohol, you have to apply for a license to buy alcohol, and once you get the license, then you're allowed to go to liquor store and 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 buy alcohol. So I think uh, that was the first myth that was dispelled. Everyone said, "Oh, you're going to go there and you're not going to be able to have a beer well, after a game." And okay, what about what you could say were they did you, did you think that were they monitoring people's twitter accounts or phones or anything no, not at all none of that not stuff was all, i don't i i don't know anyone that had a tweet monitored or, or a tweet flagged. the only time i had a tweet flagged i had a tweet flagged because i i recorded a, a penalty shot that ronaldo took and then I tweeted it out. You now, can't that do that. Was, you can't do you that. Can't do that, Derek. You, you got to know that. that. What the hell are you doing? Broadcast rights that came up on right. Twitter said, hey, you can't tweet out stuff from the game, but you can tweet out fans. You can tweet out pictures. Uh, I, I did not know anyone that uh, was censored in any way when we were in Qatar. You had no false illusions about how Qatar had gotten the event. You'd already you'd seen FIFA uncovered before uh, you left because we talked yeah. about it. So, uh, you know, you've, cu- you've, you've watched it. And, and we should preface this. You're Chilean. Yeah, and Chile, yeah. and your 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 family was directly impacted by the Pinochet regime. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. That's why we're here. Yeah, that's where we're here. Right. So, yeah. so you've got some strong feelings on some issues. Uh, so we kind of know how they got it. They spent a hell of a lot. Do we know how much money they actually spent on hosting the World Cup? On hosting, I heard it was two hundred million uh, on hosting the World Cup, but that doesn't include. All the hotels and all the buildings. Million or billion? Billion. No, I think it was million, 200 million on hosting it, but that doesn't include the cost of building the stadiums and the hotels right, and the infrastructure. Right. So yeah. obviously it's a, it's, a lot, it's a lot more than that. Uh, and they basically, they built seven stadiums from the ground up. They, when they got their bid in 2010, they had nothing. No, nothing, and and that's why everyone was so shocked right. that that Qatar got the bid because they had nothing, and they they got it on basis of we're promising we'll build all this infrastructure, and we all know it was all corrupt the way they awarded the the both Russia and Qatar. We saw the documentary; it was all corrupt. All the people that were awarded those World Cups are no longer there. Right. They've all been arrested or whatever happened to them. They, they're gone. Uh, a couple have passed away. So the way they got it was very, very corrupt, very, very backhanded, very, very, uh, um, you know, it was very shady. Right. That's, I guess maybe that's the best word. But they ended up pulling it off, in my opinion. <laughs> they ended up... They had a hell of, and, and the theater around the actual games themselves, I mean, that's part of it, Derek. Like, the way the World Cup ended, you couldn't have asked for a better ending, could you? No, you couldn't have. It was an incredible final. And, uh, you know, and I think it's funny because I think, you know, obviously I know you're a Lionel Messi fan, and I wanted Lionel Messi to win. I think, you know, 85% of the planet was cheering for Lionel Messi. Even the French players said, hey, we people in France are hoping Lionel Messi wins this thing, just what he's done for the game and what he's right. done for soccer for so long. But but the way to do it and, and the excitement of that final, it was such a back-and-forth game and so many chances. It was, it was a fantastic – the best final I think I ever happened. As a guy who has South American origins in your family, 
family. Was there really 40,000 Argentinians in the stadium? Yeah. yeah, they were. And you know why they were legit? Because they were singing all the songs. And the, and if you have, Are you telling me that there might have been some fans that weren't actually fans? There, of, oh, there were some fans that, that were staged. That, let's be honest. There were some fans there that, <laughs> that they said, hey, we need to fill the stadiums, put on this. Portugal jersey, put on this uh, Sweden or Switzerland jersey, put on this jersey and get to the stadium and, and cheer for. Them. Yes, that was evident. It was obvious. Like people there, were, there was obvious that you know you had some people there that weren't Brazilians per se or weren't weren't English per se, and and you could tell it was there was a there was a bit of a of they was staged a little bit. But the Argentines, they were there at full force. Like they were there, you knew they were Argentine fans because just. How they, act, they sung and, and and the way they acted in the stadiums, you can put on a jersey of, of of a local foreign worker and tell him to go to the stadium and sit in a seat. He's not going to know those songs. He's not going to because they were so intricate and it was just so so well done. And and so those guys were legit. It was legit. Forty thousand Argentines in that stadium. Do you know what you said to me on November the fifth? I told you Messi was going to win his World Cup. I told I said that to Connor McDavid, and I think we were having a discussion. You were in on the discussion. Yeah, Connor yeah. and Leon Dreisaitl. We talked. We were talking. I think it was in Florida. We were on a road. We were on the road yeah, yeah. somewhere. And we were talking about the World Cup, and I told Connor I was going. I told Leon I was going, and, and I said to Connor, because Connor is like, who's going to win? And we said, Argentina will win. Messi will win his World Cup. And Leon thought Germany was going to win. Of course, Leon thought Germany, Germany Connor maybe had England. I, and I thought England because of how they lost the Euro and the fact that France had lost the Euro at home yeah. as well. And that that's and England had a pretty good team when it was – I mean, French, France, it's unbelievable. Like, it, it's funny because when I grew up watching them in 82, they had met Plantini and they had that unbelievable midfield that could dominate games. And they, they did win a Euro, but they, they didn't ever really translate it to international success at the World Cup level. And now the last 20 years they've been – as good as anybody. Well, they've been they've been just pumping out players left, right, and center. They're they're getting these players, and whatever they're doing in France to develop these younger players, they're doing a great job. And I think everyone should look at that French system of, of developing younger players uh, because they just keep coming through the woodwork, and they're going to be strong for a lot of years. All right. So, uh, by the way, uh, Messi was this the most appro- like the most accessible. He, like I heard, this was the most successful prior to the success. Yeah. Like yeah. even when they lost to Lasadis in the opening match, like he was right there, front and center, taking the heat. Well, it's funny. It's so interesting because uh, I had, I, I think, about four or five opportunities to 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 be at a Messi availability. Not necessarily talk to him, but I was at a press conference when Messi was there. I was in the mix zone talk with Messi was there. Um, the mix zone, the first time I talked to Messi in a mix zone, now those who don't know what a mix zone is, is basically you have journalists in a room downstairs and the players will walk through, uh, kind of like snake through a quarter on the way to the bus. And you can ask them to stop and they can stop or they won't stop. It depends on the guy. And I remember our, the Argentina-Netherlands game, that was a 10 o'clock kickoff local time. And the game didn't end until 1 o'clock in the morning. So it was a three-hour game. Didn't end until 1 o'clock in the morning. By the time they had the press conferences, and then they had the, the MIG zone, um, we were going to leave the MIG zone. It was 2.30 in the morning, and someone said, hey, just stick around. Messi might come through. Because some of these players have a different weight, but they said Messi might come through. So we all, there was about 20 of us left, 3 o'clock in the morning in the MIG zone. And sure enough, here comes Messi. And I thought he was going to blow us off. And someone said, hey, Lionel, you got a minute? Sure, no problem. And he stood there and he talked for about 10 minutes. And I'm sitting there in, 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 yeah. the, in the talking to, like as far as you and I are. And I was like, wow, that's, that's Lionel Messi. But I remember looking at my watch. It was like 3, 3 o'clock in the morning talking to Lionel Messi. So. Uh, back from the World Cup in one piece. Uh, Post Media's Derek Van Dees. Derek, uh, there was a pretty contentious piece written about Alfonso Davies, who will be here tonight uh, at the game. Of course, uh, you know, grew up here at Edmonton and is 
unequivocally Canada's best player, the player, they use the term class in terms of describing, you know, international top-end players. He has it. He took some criticism during the course from a CBC journalist. What was your take on what was going on there? Well, I think the situation was is that uh, the CBC journalist, I know which article you're talking about, I had a similar article, but I didn't take a, uh, a shot at the CBC, at, at Alfonso Davies. The problem with Alfonso Davies and Canada Soccer and Alfonso Davies' representatives is they did not promote their player at the World Cup. They did not do a very good job at all of putting him on the world stage. Um, Alfonso Davies didn't have a media availability until 11 days into the tournament. Already Canada had played two games and they had been eliminated and he had scored the first goal and they still had made him available the night of the goal, the next day after the goal. They didn't make him available until two days after the goal was scored. Okay. And by that time, it was it was far too late. But you're not blaming Alfonso then? Well, uh, Alfonso takes some because he doesn't want to do media, basically. Right. And he says, I don't want to do media, but he needs someone to say, no, Alfonso, for the good of the country, for the good of the association, for the growth of the sport in this country, he should have been front and center on right. day one when Canada showed up because there would have been not just us talking to him, but there would have been German media, there would have been Croatian media, there would have been Moroccan media, all the media that they're from that Belgian media there. And he would have been able to be in the face of Canadian soccer. And that's the opportunity that they missed. Now, at the end of the day, there, there has been, and you've educated me on this before, a little bit of a disconnect between Alfonso's camp and the Canadian Soccer Association as well. Is that oh, true? For sure. A little bit, yeah. Because... because Alfonso's camp is is running the show. Like if it's it'd be like Connor's agent saying, "No, Connor's not doing any media with the Oilers." Jeff Jackson. Yeah, Jeff Jackson. If he said he's not doing any media with the Oilers, and then the Oilers are hands were tied. Well, that's that doesn't happen. Connor's the face of the team. He's the face of the league. If you want to grow the sport, if you want to grow the league, you need to put him out front and center. And I'm not blaming Alfonso Davies for not understanding that, but I am blaming his people and the Canadian so Canada soccer for not helping him understand and that. facilitating it. Yes, and facilitating. He's the face of the game on the biggest stage. I haven't been there in 36 years. You cannot wait 11 days before he makes it up. Three more quick ones for it. Canada lost to two teams that ended up in the final four and Belgium. How would you assess Canada's performance overall? I thought it was great. I honestly thought uh, they went in with, with high expectations. What I liked about Canada is that Sometimes these smaller countries will play a bigger country and will sit back and defend the entire game and right. just try to survive. That's what happened in 86 when they went to, to Mexico. They just sat back and tried to survive. Let's not get embarrassed. Canada took the game to Belgium. And you look at that game, and they should have won that game or at the very least came out. Gotten a draw. Yeah. Right, they missed a penalty. They missed a lot of great opportunities. I think the stat at the time was 21 efforts on goal was the most ever at a World Cup without a goal. So I think that's that was a big stat, uh, and that kind of opened a lot of eyes. A, lo a lot of people said, "Hey, I love the way Canada approached the game. I love the way they took the game to Belgium. I love the way they're playing attacking soccer. They try to do the same thing against Croatia, and it got I carved just, open. I just think I just think they weren't deep enough against Croatia. I think they gave so much in that first game. You got to do a turnaround and play in three days later. I just don't think they were deep enough. I don't think they had enough in the tank, and it didn't help the comments of the, <laughs> the head coach, John kinda, Herbert. John Herbert kind of calling out the Croatians. He didn't mean to do it. But I think he, he kind of doubled down and he should have just taken back the comments when he says we're going to F Croatia. You right. can't say that about an opponent because they Especially used one that was in the World Cup final <laughs> exactly, the year before. Exactly. Uh, and, so, and then I thought they played well against Morocco. And it was Morocco, that was a tough game because uh, apart from the Argentines and the Saudi fans, the Moroccan fans were among the best. And they were among the biggest group there. And that game, 
uh, with Canada Morocco could have easily been played in Casablanca. That's how home how, how big the home home field advantage was for Morocco. Uh, very quickly, uh, Canada arrow up for their program. Are they headed in the right direction? They are. They are. They got good young players. They got uh, they got something core to build on, but they have to. They have to take the lessons they learned at the World Cup and use them. It's not about just, oh, you have to implement those lessons. And and that goes for the entire association, not just for the players on the field. The entire association has to look and see how do other countries run their programs? How do, do they do their media? How do they do it? And they have to learn that uh, going forward. All right. Uh, you get back to covering the Edmonton Oilers. You left us when we were in Florida, yeah. and, and so you're back uh, doing the Oilers here. McDavid and Drysaddle, are there comparables to them in international soccer? Yes. Um, I, it's funny because I watched Messi play 70. That's the first time I watched Messi play live. And I think when we talk about Messi and, and his genius, it, it almost looks like he's watching the game from above and he sees the game from above playing it below. And we've talked about McDavid and Drysaddle right. doing that as well. It looks like they're watching the game from the press box, the way they see the game and they see where everyone is at the same time. And I think that's the comparable that I, I think I want to make with some of those great players like Messi, some of those other fantastic players, is that they seem to watch the game from the, see the game from the press box while they're playing it. And they know where everyone is at all times. And that was the genius of Lionel Messi. Derek, great stuff. Keep your head on, headset on for 15 seconds. Sounds good. We'll throw it a break. When we come back, a one-on-one with Ryan Nugent Hopkins. You're listening to Oilers now. Still to come after a global news weather traffic update. We'll hear from Thomas Drance, Thomas Drance, as he's known in uh, the Western world. I don't know why I said Thomas. Thomas Drance coming on to talk about the Vancouver Canucks. He is from the Athletic Vancouver, but not before we hear Bob one-on-one in conversation with Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Ryan, you're having a, a terrific campaign. Knock on wood so far. What do you what do you think's happened this year? Is it, you know is it a culmination of things? Is it a power play that is at 33? What do you what do you think's going on here? Um, I don't know. I'm just trying to um, play my game, and I thought uh, I thought I was feeling similar last year, and um, the way that I was playing, and when I was playing at center, I was uh, feeling confident, and um, just kind of tried to build off that. Obviously. The, the pucks weren't going in for me last year, so that's uh, that's a difference maker. And I, I did uh, once I kind of came back from my shoulder injury, I tried to heading into playoffs really focus on bearing down on pucks and um, and uh, just trying to, to every chance I wanted to make it a good one and shoot the puck a little bit more. But at the same time, when I get those chances, really bear down. And I kind of carried that into summer and. Um, tried to continue that uh, throughout this year so far, but um, I don't know. I mean, our, obviously our power play is clicking well right now, so uh, we got to keep that going. All right. Uh, last year you had one goal in the power play. You got six this year. 11 goals last season, 63 games. You're at 18 and 34. Is there been a more concerted effort to, to, to take your shots in the power play and not defer too much and be uh, more of a shooter at times and maybe less of a facilitator? Maybe take us through what, what transpires with your role in that situation. Um, yeah, I definitely want to shoot the puck a little bit more. I still think that at times I, I can shoot the puck more. Um, really, I, I think um, 
I've found some quiet spots where the other guys have found me for a few goals on the power play. So I think that's kind of changed where I, I kind of gotten into areas where I'm trying to put myself in a good opportunity to get the puck and put it in. And then when I get those chances, I want to bear down and make sure that if it's not going in, we're getting a good rebound and uh, we're creating something off of it. So um, I still see myself as a... Um, a passer on the power play but uh, at the same time uh, obviously I can shoot the puck more and just try to find those open lanes for those guys to find. Why has it worked with you and uh, Matthias Janmark and Clem Costin? I mean, you guys were together before uh, about 10 or 12 games ago, and then again together against Dallas. What works with that line? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, uh, I've been playing with Yanni uh, pretty consistently here for the last little bit, and uh, he definitely thinks the game well. We, we think the game's similar. Um, uh, he, he wants to make plays, but obviously uh, um, not give up anything uh, um, on defense. So um, I think as a centerman, sometimes uh, you can. You're not always first back, and he, he can be first back sometimes. He can. Uh, he, he's a responsible player, but also, I mean, he's just got skill and he, he sees game well. Like I said, and I mean, Clemmer's a uh, big man, big body who uh, can shoot the puck really well, but also just create space. And he's got good hands, and um, I haven't gotten to play with him as much, but definitely like his game, and I think it complements. Uh, I think we kind of complement each other, the three of us. Is that an important? I mean, you got the dads on the trip. Was that an important win against? Dallas? I mean, that's a really good team. You've now won in Tampa Bay. You've won in Dallas. Those are not easy places to win. But uh, how important was that loss for or a win for you guys? Yeah, it was a huge, huge game. We knew that. Um, I, I thought obviously bringing it back to St. Louis at home. Uh, we won two points, disappointed there. I thought we played pretty well against Anaheim, couldn't find it. Um, and kind of similar situation in Nashville where we grinded all game, all game, and um, kind of game came down to one little play in overtime and we didn't get that extra point. So we were, we were pushing, we were pushing. Uh, I think we were, I mean, a little frustrated that we weren't getting a few more points, but uh, so we knew. I mean, we knew going into Dallas, it's never easy. You never, you never have an easy game there. So we kind of had the mindset of just gonna stick with it through 60, and obviously, kind of a later goal uh, that propelled us to a huge one down there. That is Ryan Nugent Hopkins of the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, just before we went to break at 1 o'clock, we did Oilers now game day trivia for St. Albert Source for Sports. Our question named the two members of the Kelowna Rockets that were drafted top 12 of the 2008 NHL draft. They are in the lineup tonight uh, for Vancouver, Tyler Ryers and Tyler Myers and Luke Shen. And it was, uh, did you say it was Ken Brendan that got the right answer? Yeah, Ken got it. Nicely done. Jason from Sangudo, uh, haven't heard from him for a while, says, Bob, I heard your interview with Derek Van Dees, friend in international relations. Relations, aka as is bartender, and uh, my response to that is, Jason, I was a bartender when I missed this, when I met this friend in international relationships. Uh, there you go, international relations. Again, you can text us at seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Stephen from uh, BC says, Bob, fantastic interview, uh, 360 degrees in the World Cup with Derek Van Dees. Well, different. doesn't always have to be hockey, hockey, hockey. And uh, Derek's an interesting guy for his passion for the beautiful game and what a beautiful final it was. All right, 1.30 at Edmonton, off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Thomas Drance from The Athletic out of Vancouver when we return.